This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Nervous, terrified, petrified, mate. I'm sure you're feeling the same ahead of a certain big game tonight as we record on Monday. No idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, of course you do. Anyway, uh, as always, a reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And of course, on today's podcast, we'll be analysing the final weekend of the Championship season and previewing those all-important playoff fixtures. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And we'll start, George, with the games that obviously had the jeopardy on them this weekend, which were those in the battle for the playoff places. Four teams competing for two spots, and Sheffield United knew that a victory over Fulham, no matter what happened elsewhere, would secure their place in the top six. And they duly obliged with a 4-0 victory over Fulham, who, let's not forget, won the title on Monday with a 7-0 thumping of Luton Town. They were they were brilliant. Secure fifth place, as I say, so they will play um, They will play Nottingham Forest in the first leg of the playoffs. No strikers, no issues for them. It has been in recent weeks, Illumin and Dian. Morgan Gibbs-White stepping up once again as the talisman as they have in recent weeks. I have to say, Indai in particular has really come to the fore after starting the season really well uh, under Jukanovic, not getting as much game time under Paul Heckenbottom, but when they've needed him, he's been the striker that's really stepped up. You think crucial equaliser away at uh, away at Queen's Park Rangers to get them back into that game last weekend. And then, of course, the second goal in this game, which really gave them the, the comfort and the daylight uh, against Fulham and, and scoring as well. Uh, an equaliser against Reading, which of course I know ended 2-1, but ultimately it should have secured them a point. So he's been really good at stepping up to the plate. Uh, Sander Burge, of course, got the third, it 3-0 up inside 25 minutes. A pretty much dream day for Sheffield United fans. Packed out Bramall Lane, the pressure melting away inside 25 minutes, knowing that you've done your job and you can just enjoy it in the sunshine, early kickoff. Third, fourth goal for me, beautiful move. What a lovely goal that was. Uh, Burge squaring it across for Ender Stevens to slide under the goalkeeper for 4-0. Only one defeat in 14 games at Bramall Lane since Paul Heckenbottom took charge. Ten victories in that time. And they've got the third best points tally of anyone in the Championship since he was appointed with 52 from 27, which is just shy of what we would consider automatic promotion form, hitting that two points per game. Only Nottingham Forest and Huddersfield Town have taken more points in that time, so... Better record than Fulham, better record than Bournemouth, who've both gone up as automatic promoted teams. Definitely deserve their place in the playoffs and they've stood up to the pressure when it's counted against adversity, haven't they, with the injuries that they've had up front? They certainly have. Paul Heckingbottom has, has worked wonders, to be quite honest, because it was at the time when he came in, it was seen as a very uninspiring appointment. The Blades fans weren't impressed by it. We weren't overly convinced by it. But full credit to Paul Heckingbottom, he's, he's got United playing with a style again, with a swagger. And the players have clearly brought uh, players have clearly bought into what he's wanted from them. And they've been terrific. They really have. They've been entertaining to watch, particularly at home. They've been scoring goals. Defensively, they've been outstanding, to be quite honest, at home. They've been absolutely terrific. Just four goals conceded in 14 games at home under Paul Heckingbottom. is a real achievement at any level, not least in the Championship. 
So he's done a terrific job. And for me, I think if if he gets them all the way and gets them over the line, I think he's another one that could be in contention for the manager of the season award for what we would go for at the end of the campaign. Because I just think it's that element of such an uninspiring appointment. Obviously, United have brought in Slaviza Djukanovic, seen as a promotion expert. Really, really good appointment at the time, it seemed. Didn't quite work out. And all of a sudden, they jumped from somebody with that high high level of championship management to Paul Heckingbott, who had not really done a great deal in his coaching career, certainly at championship level. So he's done a terrific job. He really has. And they hit the playoffs now, arguably, as the form team, looking really strong playing some good football, scoring goals, but it's that defensive record at Bramall Lane that really could be key, obviously, in this upcoming semi-final against Nottingham Forest that we'll touch on shortly. But I just think the way that players have stepped up to the plate, like Njai, for one, he's been outstanding, really, in recent weeks. Seven goals and two assists this season. Pretty healthy return for a player that you wouldn't have thought at the start of the season would have played. He was playing non-league last season, so to, yeah, to make that jump exactly. to championship... He's been and terrific. Fantastic. Obviously, you've mentioned before the injury crisis that they've had at the top end of the pitch. That was bound to raise a few doubts and think that you never know. They might struggle to get over the line and into the playoff places, but they've done the job. And for me, the, the, the point where I thought they are definitely, definitely going to get in there was that second half at QPR just over a week or so ago where they were off the pace in the first half. Obviously, Paul Heckingbottom, he had stern words at the break and they came out like a, like a team possessed. And it was that night where you thought, this team is hungry for success and they are digging their heels in and they're fighting for the badge, which is what they did under Chris Wilder for so long. It was a team that was packed, not full of superstars, but hard work and determination. And I think for me, they've done that once again. And to take Fulham to bits like they did at the weekend, admittedly, last game of the season, Fulham have wrapped the title up. They're not going to be at 120% full tilt. But to still put four goals past Fulham is is a hell of a is a hell of an achievement and a hell of a warning to the rest of the teams in the playoffs. So, for me, this playoff battle, which we'll, we'll discuss further shortly, I think it really is going to be interesting to see what happens. But Sheffield United have got just as much a chance as anybody. And I'll tell you what, this semi-final with Forest for the neutral, promises to be an absolute cracker. I can't wait for it. I think what Paul Heckenbottom's done since he's coming is he's simplified the games of a lot of players that yeah, were having to try that. and do two, two different things under Slavizia Kanovic. It it was just the wrong appointment at the wrong time, I think, Yukanovic, because he came into a squad that didn't fit what he wanted to do and he didn't have any money or resources to really change it either. And you ended up with this lopsided team that wanted to play wingers but didn't have any wingers and it just didn't work. Whereas he's gone back to the 3-5-2. He's getting the best out of Sander Burge, Gibbs White and Die. Obviously, Billy Sharp's had a really good season and... He's just come in like a safe pair of hands, ultimately. And, and you've got to give credit to the Sheffield United board for that decision. Ultimately, the way it was handled was probably the bigger concern around the club than actually the decision itself. When you look at Heckingbottom's record with working with young players and the, the model and vision the club had, it was more the way it was handled from a PR point of view than anything else. But credit to them, it's, it's paid off and Heckingbottom's done a fantastic job and really, you know, really resurrected his career, if we're being honest, in English football, because he did an amazing job at Barnsley. Um, Leeds struggled, but only got 14 games or whatever it was, something like that. And then things haven't worked out for him where he's been elsewhere, obviously up in Scotland and a few other jobs. This one's really put him back on the map and reminded us that at championship level, with the right set of circumstances and bringing through young players, he can certainly do a job. Now, Sheffield United's victory cemented their place in fifth, 
And that meant it was up to Luton Town um, to make sure that they beat Reading to get that final playoff spot with Middlesbrough hoping to steal in on final day. Luton got the job done, so they are sixth in the championship standings with a 1-0 win over Reading. No issues for them. Um, a very comical goal, the one that secured them their place in the playoffs. Harry Cornett doing his best Robbie Keane impression, hiding behind Nyland, rolls the ball out. Uh, Cornett runs around the back of him and slots it into the back of the net. And in fairness, it was a big response from Luton after the 7-0 thrashing from Fulham less than a week before. Patched up teams still, but and not and ultimately they're not playing the best football right now. But they have got a few players coming back. Lansbury came back and started in this one. Um, they've got Reese Burt back, who's had a hamstring injury as well. So I do think that will definitely help them. I don't think they're playing their absolute best football at the moment. But Nathan Jones, from a mentality point of view, you can bet your bottom dollar he's going to get them bang up for this playoff campaign. And big achievement from Luton Town. It shouldn't go under the radar. They deserve a lot of credit. Um, and with the injuries they've had to contest as well, staved off any sort of pressure from Middlesbrough on the final day. And uh, they will play against Huddersfield Town for a place at Wembley. They certainly will. I mean, the size of this achievement should not go unnoticed. It really is one of the greatest fairy tales the Championship, I think, has seen in many, many years. Let's just remember, Luton, historically, are a, a, a big football club. They've spent time in the top flight. But they were playing non-league football not that long ago. They obviously had points deduction after points deduction. They had so many issues off the pitch. And they've risen back through the leagues gradually. And all of a sudden now, they're three games away from the Premier League. I mean, we thought, didn't we, at the start of the season that Luton would make progression this year and probably probably again punch above their weight in aiming for something like 12th place or something like that, which in the grand scheme of things in taking into account budgets and things like that with other teams would have been a good uh, a good outcome for them. But they now enter this point in the season in the playoffs. They managed to secure the same amount of wins as Sheffield United, who, let's not forget, were a Premier League side last year who have got a considerably bigger budget, a bigger infrastructure, everything, you name it, and they managed to match them in terms of points this season. So, a wonderful achievement. And against Huddersfield, even though it's going to be very, very tough, they'll fancy their chances. They really will. They will fancy their chances of getting the job done and getting to Wembley. The only thing that you said there, which is a concern, obviously, injury issues have hampered them a little bit lately. They're not playing at full tilt. I think the thing that stands out for me is and obviously it could be a problem, but things can change in the playoffs. We know what sort of games these are like. Huddersfield, uh, Luton, sorry, have not scored more than one goal in the game now since the 2nd of April. The goals have dried up a little bit, but obviously they've not dried up enough to stop them getting into the top six. But they've only scored one goal in, in, in the last five games that they have scored and they've only managed to score one. So that might be a little bit of a concern, but... The playoffs are very different matches. They're very different occasions. They're tight, they're cagey. One mistake and your season can be over or it can be made. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But an outstanding achievement because they've signed players that realistically shouldn't have achieved what they had, like Fred Onyadimba, Alan Campbell from Motherwell, Carlos Mendes Gomez in from Morecambe, Reese Birkin from Hull, Henry Lansby in. A bit of experience in there, but not players that you would have expected to be at the top end of the championship this season with respect to those players, even though they're good players, they're good operators at this level, they're not they haven't got the sex appeal to them of, of championship footballers. They've not got like your Brennan Johnsons of Nottingham Forest. You've not got your scale and your swagger and your quick movement and things like that. What they've got is, is hard working lads 
who give absolutely everything for the shirt, inspired by a manager that is seemingly the perfect fit for that football club. And whatever happens over the next week or week and a bit, they can be very, very proud of what they've achieved this season because those Luton players will go down in history of that football club of being one of the best teams that they've seen in recent years. And it were, it would be the ultimate fairy tale if they were to get over the line. We obviously we think of Huddersfield in twenty sixteen seventeen as one of the the greatest fairy tales the championship's ever seen. This would top it, I think, by quite some distance. It certainly would be right up there for the budget they've got and the work that Nathan Jones has done since he's came back into Luton. Let's not forget he, he took charge of Luton for a second time after his stint at Stoke with the club, um, pretty much looking destined to be relegated from the championship after the pandemic to get them not only to safety, but then into mid-table uh, last season and then to get them into the playoffs in, inside you know, 24 months is, is some achievement from Nathan Jones. And that Luton squad has really overachieved this season. Albeit a lot of people had them as dark horses to actually fulfil that and get um, get over the line is a completely different matter entirely. And for me, this puts into context a little bit about Middlesbrough when they obviously collapsed on final day. They lost 4-1 at Preston. They had to win to have any chance and hope results went their way, but they couldn't even get their part of the bargain done. Despite being backed by a sellout away crowd at Deepdale, they just weren't at the races and, and unable to apply any sort of pressure on Sheffield United or Luton Town, who ultimately got the jobs done regardless. They were sluggish, lethargic, sloppy in defence, and ultimately it's a lack of goals that has cost them, I think, when you look at their um, their fall away from the top six. And when you consider the, the injury problems that Luton and Sheffield United have had to deal with, it's quite bizarre when you look at the squad and the, the options Chris Wilder's had up front. He's never found a settled front two. There was a period where Connolly... Um, Connolly looked like he was going to be someone that was going to play. Him and Balogun, they looked like favoured too. But even since then, they've, they've chopped and changed. It's been Sparrar, Watmore, Balogun, Connolly, even Josh Coburn at times. And they've not found that cemented pair up front. And when you think of the luxuries they've got, and when you've got Sheffield United playing without a striker, using Ndai and Mon Gibbs-White, and you've got Luton, who've had to use Cameron Jerome up front on his own at times when Adebayo's been out, and the injuries they've had in midfield and defence. I think... It's hard to say other than anything that Middlesbrough didn't deserve to, to finish in the top six because after beating Peterborough 4-0, um, it's been two wins in eight and only one clean sheet. And that goes away from everything that was so good about the team under Chris Wilder, which got them from mid-table into a place where they really should have finished in the playoffs, especially when you consider the uh, problems that the teams around them have had them with injuries, as I say. Ultimately, given the squad, I don't think they deserve to make it. I'd say two wins in eight to finish the season is a pretty poor run. And maybe this team just ran out of steam. But when you look at it side by side with the situations that Luton and Sheffield United have had, particularly on the injury front, it does feel a little bit like, not an underachievement because of where they were, but ultimately they probably will feel like it was a missed opportunity from going for, you know, you move into the playoffs with a 4 0 win at Peterborough to only win two out of eight from that point and one clean sheet. That's a real disappointment. Yeah, they'll be kicking themselves. Chris Wilder will be. We know what a what a born winner he is and how much he wants to succeed. And unfortunately for them, they've just fell that little bit short. But they've got nobody to blame but themselves, really. Like you've said there, two wins in eight. It's it's not the form you want at the end of the season when you're striving for the playoffs and promotion. Ultimately, Middlesbrough, I think, like you said, I think they just ran out of gas. I think it was just a little bit too much of them in the end and... Obviously, they gave themselves a, a sniff of a chance with those back-to-back wins against Cardiff and Stoke. 
ahead of Saturday against Preston and ultimately the end of the season on the worst possible note, obviously getting absolutely thumped at Preston. It wouldn't have mattered, obviously, because Luton won and Sheffield United won, but even if they had got a result, it wouldn't have made any difference. But two wins in the last eight games, obviously the goals had dried up as well. They didn't score in four consecutive games as well. That was where the problems lie. And I think, obviously, Middlesbrough, a big summer lies ahead for them. A really big summer. Obviously, there's still speculation about Chris Wilder's future and this Burnley connection. Will it happen? Will it not? Time will tell, obviously. But, say, in hindsight, they do keep him. They've got some really big recruitments to do this summer, I really think, especially in the in the goalkeeping department, especially. They've got to change that area. Obviously, Connolly and Balogun, both on loan. So, they've got big decisions to make in regards to finding a a settled front two and some strikers, Sparar as well on loan. So it's a really big summer ahead for Middlesbrough if they want to make that next uh, next step under Chris Wilder. Because I think the thing is, if Borough get the recruitment right this summer and Chris Wilder stays at the club a full pre-season under him, they could be a real force next season because we know exactly what a manager he is at this level. And ultimately, when you think about it, it's disappointing that it's ended this way, but they were 14th when he took charge and they finished 7th. So that's a success in a, in a, in a sense. But obviously they fell short of the, the number one aim. So they'll be disappointed, they'll be kicking themselves, but a big, big summer recruitment-wise, they've got to change things. But if they keep hold of Chris Wilder, they'll be in a much better position than if they will enter next season without him, that's for sure, because he is one of the best at this uh, at this level. We know what he's capable of, we know what he's done in the past, but for me, it's to see what Middlesbrough do over the coming months that will really shape their chance in next season. If they get it right in, in almost every department and keep him, I think they could be genuine contenders next season, without a doubt. Yeah, I would agree with that. Big summer of recruitment for Preston North End as well, because we've seen them at times look scintillating under Ryan Lowe, as they were at the weekend. Uh, we've also seen them pretty poor, which obviously I saw at Deep Deal when they were thrashed 4-1 by Blackburn recently. I mean, excited to see how ambitious the club's going to be in the transfer market because the likes of Daniel Leverson, who scooped up their Player of the Year awards this week, uh, Seth Vandenberg's going to go back to Liverpool, Cameron Archer back to Aston Villa. Maybe they'll get Archer back, but they probably won't get Everson and Vandenberg. How are they going to replace them? How ambitious are they going to be? And I think that's, for me, the interesting thing. I can't see Ryan Lowe sitting there and being happy with a wasteful summer because he's an ambitious manager. He's come to Preston North End to to break the gap to the top six and show that he can be a top championship manager. I can't see him putting up with free transfers and unambitious loan signing. So I'll be intrigued to see what Preston can do because it's that consistency, isn't it? We we see them, they can be absolutely brilliant on the day. Emil Reese 20 goals for the season, which is a brilliant return, but they need someone up front with him. They need better wing backs to suit the Ryan Lowe system because Potts is a midfielder playing there and Cunningham doesn't have that attacking thrust down the left. And that he, he wants from his wing back. So I think they're okay in midfield, but they're going to need a centre half to replace Vandenberg. They're going to need wing backs and they're going to need a striker and a goalkeeper potentially. So they're going to have to make big signings to close that gap to the teams currently that you would consider that will be right up there for the playoffs. Yeah, I would agree with that, definitely. It's a it's another one, as you say, there with a big summer lying ahead. But I think Ryan Lowe, he's, he's made it very obvious that he's an ambitious figure. He, he was obviously he was onto something at Plymouth Argyle, wasn't he? And I don't think he would have made that next step without assurances that he was going to get the backing from the board, certainly this coming summer ahead of his first full season. But even though there's been a few ups and downs for Preston, certainly in the last couple of months of the season, there's been significant strides under him. They're playing decent stuff. 
Cameron Archer was obviously uh, a terrific signing, and he's already hinted that he'd like to keep hold of him very, very, very clearly, which is understandable. But who knows what the summer could hold for him? Will Stephen Gerrard have plans for him next season at Villa? Will you never know? One of the lower Premier League clubs fancy taking a punt on him, somebody like Bournemouth, who knows? But I think, like you said there, there's certain areas where they've got to strengthen. And I've always been a big fan of Preston's midfield options. Daniel Johnson, he's not had the best of season in terms of scoring goals, but there is a player in there. And when he's at the top of his game, Preston are usually at the top of their game. So I think in midfield, they're all right. Reese has proven that he's got the credentials to score goals at this level now. He looked really good. But it's maybe potentially about finding somebody to go with him. Obviously, Archer's a huge loss. It's the architect-in-chief they're going to lose there. But I'm optimistic for Preston's future. Ryan Lowe's achieved some good things in a short amount of time. They've played some good stuff. It's just about getting it right this summer. But the board, obviously, at Preston, they've not been renowned for chucking money at it in the past. Maybe with an ambitious manager of Ryan Lowe, up-and-coming manager that's got quite a lot of respect in the game from fans of other clubs. And he's kind of looked at it thinking he could go places as a manager. Maybe if he just gets the chance to loosen the purse strings a bit, they might be onto something next season. If they get it right, who knows? It could, it could be enough for a playoff battle. And already, I think, looking at it, as we said last week about all the teams that will be looking to make progress next season, depending on what happens over the summer, the playoff battle could be ridiculous next season because there's so many clubs that will be looking to make that next step. You think about your Swansea's, your Coventry's, your Stokes. And then, obviously, we've got the three out of the four that won't go up by the playoffs this time around that will be challenging again. So it's going to be competitive next year. So Preston, to make sure they're amongst that group, they've got to give Ryan Lowe some support financially. And hopefully, with his smart recruitment, I think he's got quite a few contacts in the game. He strikes me as that type of figure. Who knows what they could achieve? But I think Preston fans, after the win on Saturday to end the season, can look forward to the summer with plenty of optimism ahead of next season. Absolutely. Only one more thing to really be decided in the Championship this weekend. That was who finished third. And Huddersfield Town took that award, uh, beating Bristol City 2-0 at the John Smith Stadium, coupled with a late equaliser from Hull City against Nottingham Forest, means Claus Corbrand's team finish third in the table, as I say, and will play at Luton Town in the playoffs. 82 points is an absolutely incredible haul and an incredible level of consistency more than anything, and for me, I'm, it slightly ruins our awards night that we'll do later uh, in the summer, but <laughs> Carlos Corbrand, regardless of what happens from this point, to finish third with 82 points, he is my manager of the season, undoubtedly. It doesn't matter if Steve Cooper gets Forrest promoted for me. If he got him automatically promoted, slightly different story, but Carlos Corbrand, manager of the season. For what, I have to measure it, as I say, against what I expected in pre-season. And I covered a lot of Huddersfield Town in pre-season, so I did have a good idea. And my feeling, and pretty much everyone's in the fan base and around the club, was if they finish fifth, sixth from bottom, it's not a bad season. To finish third with 82 points compared to someone like Luton, who, from a budget point of view, Luton's budget's obviously smaller, but I, I thought Luton would be, I think I predicted them eighth or even seventh at the start of the season. I thought they'd be I in there around there. I had them down in 12th. I did not I... see this from Huddersfield at all. Oh. I thought they would be... If you'd have told me they'll finish top half, that would have astounded me in pre-season, never mind finishing third. So, brilliant. And, and the thing for me that really encapsulates is, the only time there's been any real pressure on or a struggle of consistency was just before the international break where they took one point from three games. Uh, the draw at West Brom, lost to Bournemouth, lost to Cardiff. Since the international break, George, they've been faultless. Six wins in seven, one draw, which was QPR uh, on Easter Monday, and four clean sheets. That is a phenomenal way to finish the season, and I fancy them to get to Wembley. 
They've been terrific. They really have. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this special pack that Huddersfield seem to have with Sky Sports of every game being on telly, I've seen a hell of a lot of Huddersfield in the last few months. And they've been good to watch. They've been really, really good to watch. And they've ended the season with such levels of consistency. And I think the thing for me was that win over Bristol City on Saturday. Carlos Corbran, as expected, made a few changes. And I actually went for Bristol City as my shock for the weekend, considering Bristol City had been in good form lately. And I actually did back Bristol City because I kind of thought, oh, just feel they might just take the pressure off, play off, play off, play secured, might just ease off a little bit, not risk anything. How wrong was I? They just kept going and going. And they found a new goal-scoring sensation in Harry Toffolo, banging him in again. He seems to have just come from nowhere with his goal-scoring expertise. But what a season they've had. I mean, whether they go up or not, I mean, those fans have had a fairy tale ride. And I always said Carlos Corberan, when he came in, it would take time to adjust to his methods and things like that. But I did not see this coming. I've just checked my predicted table that we did back in July. I had Huddersfield to finish 21st in the table. But I don't think that was, that was, that's not no, a silly prediction. The recruit, it wasn't. The recruitment, in my opinion, even though I've had a couple of arguments with Huddersfield fans over this, where they've not been very impressed with my opinions, but fair enough. The recruitment to me was uninspiring. It didn't strike me as a, as a recruitment hall that was going to take Huddersfield places. Let's be fair, Lee Nichols came in as a goalkeeper that wasn't even getting a game for MK Dons. He's ended the season with the second most clean sheets in the league. Been absolutely outstanding. And goalkeeper of the season. Been outstanding. Jordan Rhodes came in, not really scored many goals for Sheffield Wednesday. Chipped in with a couple now and again. He's done a job a little bit. Tom Lees has been terrific at the back. They've been excellent throughout the midfield. Players have stepped up, such as Sorber Thomas and Harry Toffolo. They've raised the game. Jonathan Hogg's shown his experience throughout the season in the midfield. He's just been terrific. Matty Pearson's been great at the back. They've just been absolutely terrific. And I think the fact that they've ended the season, even once they secured that playoff place, obviously with the first side to wrap up a top six place, they've not took the foot off the gas. They've kept going. They've kept striving. They wanted that third place. They got it. And they now enter a playoff battle with Luton as, I would say, the favourites even though I think both sides have massively exceeded expectations. If you'd have said to me back in August that the first playoff semi-final would be Huddersfield against Luton, I'd have laughed at you. There was no way this was meant to happen, but it has, and it's been achieved purely on merit. Both sides terrific, but Huddersfield, for me, what they've achieved is just beyond belief. Third place, I think it's 13 or 14 more points than they won at home last season. A great amount of clean sheets. Good to watch. Really inspiring. Carlos Corbran, really likeable figure as well. Really likeable guy. And they've proven to me as well, what they've got is, they've got the ability to do it in big games. The one that stood out for me was that 2-0 win at Middlesbrough on Easter Monday, where they could have quite easily been the slip-up. Quite the opposite. It was a terrific away performance. So professional, so perfect, that it was a kind of one of those performances where you thought, they can go all the way. And honestly, I, I do think they will get to Wembley. I think they will win this two-legged semi-final. Whether it's the Blades or Forest they play, they've got a real chance with the spirit that they've got and the togetherness they've got. And it could be that that I think that sees Huddersfield through. It could be the spirit over the quality. Because I think on the day, I think Nottingham Forest or Sheffield United are a better team than Huddersfield, even though the table says otherwise. But I think Huddersfield's spirit and mentality and just what they've achieved could be the difference. So... In this playoff battle, I wouldn't like to call at the minute who I think will get the job done and go all the way. But Huddersfield, I think they, they've got every right to believe they can do it. 
Absolutely. Peterborough 5, Blackpool nil. probably the shot result of the day, or certainly the uh, the biggest result of the day. Peterborough rounding off their relegation season with their best win and biggest scoreline of victory uh, of the whole season. How often does that happen? And they How absolutely, often does that happen? They, in fairness, they dismantled Blackpool, and there were some stunning goals in there, not least Taylor's to round off the win. They've shown such great improvements since Grant McCann came in. And to be honest, if you ask me right now, whilst the League One playoffs are still going on, I'd make them favourites to win League One next year. With this squad and his track record, Grant McCann's in League One, he's improved them tenfold in two months in both areas of the pitch. They're not conceding as many and they're actually cutting loose and scoring goals, which is what we expected Peterborough to concede goals, maybe not as many as they have. But we thought we'd see a few more you know, hit someone for three or four or five. I did think we'd see that. I thought that's, I think I predicted them to finish 19th and this was why. Because I thought this squad, I think this squad's underachieved. Of all the teams that have gone down, well, Derby's obviously a bit of an asterisk. I think Peterborough will kick themselves the most because I think they had the quality and the players that they could have stayed up. But the good thing, at least, is if you're going to get relegated, I don't think there's going to be a a circle of clubs after any of their players because even Johnson Clark Harris hasn't had a great year from open play until Grant McCann came in. So if I was a championship club, I wouldn't be queuing around the block to sign any of Peterborough's players. And that's a good thing for Peterborough because I think they can keep hold of this squad. They've got a manager who won League One in his last campaign there with a squad. I would argue that Peterborough's squad is better than that whole City squad that got promoted. Yes, all right, don't have a particular star like Akeem Lewis Potter. Um, but I think it's a better squad overall. And I would make them favourites to win League One next season on current basis right now. It's funny you should say that actually, because obviously, obviously we're Sheffield Wednesday fans. I'm. This is Monday morning we're recording. I've been thinking about the playoff semi final with Sunderland tonight, and I've been thinking if Wednesday miss out this season on going up. And I've thought to myself this morning, Peterborough are the one that I think next year could be the biggest competitor out of the three dropping down. And like you said, they've really turned things around, haven't they, and stepped things up. And ultimately, it's just been too little, too late. But that win against Blackpool on Saturday came as no surprise to me. I backed Peter on Saturday. I really felt they'd go out with a with a bit of a bang. Peter Blackpool, obviously, nothing to play for. But you are beginning to think now. Had they gone for Grant McCann a little bit earlier? Had he been sacked by Hull a little bit earlier? Would it have made a difference? Would he have kept them up? Because going back to the old point again, myself and you, we were baffled by the gave why they gave Darren Ferguson such a lengthy contract when they did. It just didn't seem right. They weren't doing anything remotely forward thinking under him at this level and Grant McCann's come in and he's proven that he can get a cord out of this out of this set of players and the fact that they've ended the season with just two defeats in their last seven games tells you everything considering how bad they were up until he came in I mean they've kept two clean sheets in the last four games that's an achievement in itself for how poor they've been this season defensively and we expected like you said that Peter were going to score a lot of goals they've always always been a team that would be able to score a lot of goals but at the same time concede a fair few. So it's no surprise that they have improved under Grant McCann. And I think you've hit the nail on the head with the point about Johnson Clark-Harris in particular, in the fact that him stuttering this season, even though he ended the season with 11 goals, which kind of came from nowhere really, gives Peter a very good chance of keeping hold of him for next season. Jack Marriott the same, he's stepped it up in recent weeks. He's a good operator at League One level if he can keep him fit. Sammy Smodix, I've always been a big fan of him. I think he's a really tidy little player. I rated him when he was at Colchester several years ago. And I just think the nucleus of that squad, like you say, should be kept together because they've not achieved what they wanted this season and performed to their true capabilities. So 
there isn't going to be as many clubs as you would think queuing around the block for them. So that if they can keep that together and add a few flashes of quality here and there, and imagine that they'll be scouring the free agent market and the loan market this summer. But the building blocks are in place for Grant McCann. He's a good manager. He knows the club inside out. They've proven that they're responding to what he wants. And with a full pre-season under the belt, entering a league where they're going to be one of the favourites to win it. Well, funny you should say that. They'll their chances. While, you, while you've been speaking, I've just been on a look at the League One betting market for next season. Peterborough 16 to 1 to win the league, so I've literally just put a bet on them. 16 that to a, 1. That That's is a huge. remarkable price. I don't. I would never put a bet on for next season this early, but I cannot but ignore 16 to 1 as a value. That is a very good price, actually. That's a huge price. That, Obviously, it doesn't the, have any that's of to be, the... That's to be champions. Yeah, that's to win it outright. But 16 to 1 is good massive. Odds. Very good odds. Who do you think favourites are? Obviously, it doesn't include MK Dons. Oh, no, it does include MK Dons. Sorry, so MK Dons are favourites. in Favourites. It doesn't include Sheffield United. Uh, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, Sunderland or Wickham, obviously, because we don't know what they're doing. I honestly don't know because it's going to be very competitive in the one. Ipswich are favourites at 11-2. to two, Then Derby at 9-1. Mm. to one. Barnsley at... Tw- How could you have Barnsley at 12-1? to one? As better odds to win the league than Peterborough at sixteen to one. Well, I think it's it's impossible Bolton, to Portsmouth, say about Derby. Bolton Portsmouth both better odds at I mean, fourteen to one, which is I'll weird. tell you something. It's then already shaping at sixteens. Very very interesting league one is going to be next season. But it's we don't have a league very, one very podcast, so we'll stop talking about it because I don't think we will. Be. But Peterborough terrific at the weekend, gone out on a high, improved dramatically really from where they were, and hopefully this time. It'll not take them 10 years to get back like it did the last time they fell out of the championship. I can't believe I've just put some money on them getting back up first time. I can't asking. believe it took... It's just so disappointing that it's took them 10 years to get back and they fell at the first hurdle. Really is remarkable where the last decade has gone. It doesn't seem five minutes ago since they were relegated by Crystal Palace. Indeed. West Brom 4, Barnsley nil. Uh, a sorry goodbye from Barnsley. How are Barnsley better odds to win League One next season than Peterborough? This oh, could no age idea. really badly, but like, how? How? I don't under I don't see any indication should, where you're getting that. You should clip that from. segment just in case you're embarrassed. Yeah, just in, when Peterborough finished like eleventh and Barnsley win the and league. Barnsley but, win the league. But at this point points. in time, it might be different. Obviously, there's a whole summer. It but at this be. point in exactly. time, I find I cannot believe that anyone would look at Barnsley and Peterborough and think Barnsley are a better bet to come straight back up than Peterborough right now. I just exactly. don't Peter have got the stability and a manager in place for one. Well, yeah, and a better squad. That's just a, just a small uh, small matter. Anyway, back to West Brom. Uh, beaten, they managed to cut loose finally, which they've not been able to do very much this season at all. For a middling side, I think Carlin's Grant's 18 goals and 6 assists shouldn't go under the radar and unnoticed. Why season. doesn't he play up front? I don't understand it. I don't understand why he's been playing on the left wing. He played up front here, up front with Dean Garner in a 4-4-2. The lad can finish. Lovely dink for his second goal over the goalkeeper. He's just he's their best finisher. And yeah, he's been playing on the left wing. I don't, I don't understand it. I think that when DK's back fit, I can see a four four two system with maybe Dean Garner. Dean Garner's best form in a West Brom shirt when we really like the look of him. He played on the left wing, and his game was mm. use your pace, get to the byline, and get crosses into the box. Mateus Pereira was obviously pulling the strings in the number ten. They haven't got a Pereira type player, so maybe four four two. Grant and DK up front. Someone like Dean Garner on the left for some width. Probably need someone who's a little bit more conservative on the right, maybe. Maybe an Adam Reach or someone, or obviously I'm sure they'll recruit. And a better holding midfielder to go with Mauer. 
And I can see that working. I think Steve Bruce has got to try and simplify the game of these players. And let's look at when were these players at their best. Colin Grant was at his best playing up front for Huddersfield Town. Put him up front with Daryl DK. He can finish. He's got dynamism. He can link play. Why? He's not a winger. You've got people like Dean Garner and Callum Robinson and Adam Reach that can play on the wing. Play him up front. Um, and I think if he can simplify their game a little bit, whether it's 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1, whatever they go with, I think that they can obviously have a better season this season. But they've got to, they've got to be better going forward and they'll need to introduce some creativity for sure. But there's enough in that squad where if you can get Grant and Dean Garner really at their best, they can they can really cause problems in this division. So just simplifying their game for me is something. I just never understood why Grant's been playing out wide when he's your best goal scorer. Elliot Jackson there, the next contender for the West Bromwich Albion manager. Master tactician. Yeah, replacing Steve Bruce any time now. But no, you're right. I do agree with a lot you've said there. Dean Garner, he's got to step it up next season. We've not seen the best of him this year. But Colin Grant has been terrific, to be fair. And he's probably gone under the radar a little bit. A, a few of those are penalties, I don't know. We'll put in yeah, a lot yeah, of pens in but there. He's got to score him. He's got to yeah. score him. Every goal counts at the end of the day. If you score 20 penalties, you've scored 20 goals in a season. It's the, it's the same thing. But he's done well in a West Brom team that has massively underperformed. And it's a weird one, I think, under Steve Bruce. And let's not forget at the weekend, they were playing a very, very, very poor Barnsley side. And I've seen comments from West Brom fans saying, by far the worst team they've seen at the Hawthorns all season, by a long, long way. So let's not forget that. But there has been some decent results in there since he's come in, even though there's been some bad the ones. The home I mean, form's been a lot better, hasn't it? Beat, they beat Bournemouth as well, let's not forget. They beat both of the top two on their own patch without conceding. So there is quality in that West Brom squad and there's bags of experience as well. So I think I think Steve Bruce has earned the chance to stay on. Like I've said before, I think his reputation was tarnished by what happened at Newcastle. He is a decent manager at championship level. His record speaks for itself. People might say he's a dinosaur, a bit old-fashioned in that sense, but his record is there. It speaks for itself. He does know how to get teams out of this league. So I think if he gets recruitment right, and we know Steve Bruce from past experiences is very good in the recruitment department. He's got a lot of contacts. He can make things happen. So I think West Brom will certainly improve next season dramatically. But I think it is a case of if they can get DK and Grant as a front two, which on paper looks quite exciting, let's be honest, plenty of pace, plenty of power, a lot of athleticism in there. Dean Garner on the left. Like you say, somebody not maybe as attack-minded on the right-hand side. They could... They could build something. They're in the heading in the right direction. They've ended the season reasonably well. So let's see what happens to West Brom. A disappointing season overall, but they've ended strongly. They know that they've got a striker who's been banging them in this season. DK should do the same when back fit. So I think West Brom, like several other clubs, their fans can look forward to next season with a bit more optimism and a bit more urgency because I, I would be astounded at least if they didn't improve. Birmingham 1, Blackburn Rovers 2, a game obviously I was at. Um, two absolutely sensational goals for Blackburn Rovers. Buckley with the first, a sublime strike, and then Brereton Diaz fancied trying to Brereton Diaz trying to upstage him. Buckley's goal was the better of the two, wasn't it? You, uh, you've you seen both of them. Oh, stunner. Absolute yeah, thunder chuffer. They were brilliant. Got thunder chuffer. Both be- thunder chuffer. They were both beautiful, to be fair. Yeah. But Buckley's goal really Brereton Diaz won. Wow. Yeah. The whip on it. Big summer ahead Very for Blackburn, impressive. as we've we've already said, but there's an exciting core to work with there, definitely. Ryan Hedges really impressed me in this one, playing on the right-hand side. He 
He's had a few injuries, made his first uh, second start for Blackburn after coming in from January against Preston. Didn't play brilliantly against Bournemouth, but again, very good performance at Birmingham. Very intelligent player. Started on the right-hand side, kept dropping into the no- number 10 role, and, and Birmingham couldn't pick him up. So much space in front of that Birmingham back line, I have to say. Hedges exploited it. And they've got players like Dylan McCande coming back from injury. He signed from Tottenham Hotspur in January. Lots of excitement around him. Tears his hamstring on his on his debut against Hull. He's back now. He is absolutely rapid, by the way. So there's a lot of players that can impact this squad further. He needs a preseason. He could be a good player for Blackburn. Bradley Dack got 45 minutes. Again, he needs a full preseason under his belt and to stay fit. James Brown made his debut at right back, and we got a glimpse of youngster Jack Vale as well for his. Uh, He's already made his debut, but another decent cameo coming off the bench. He's an exciting prospect as well. So there's a lot for a new manager to work with, an exciting young core. They do need someone that's willing to work with the young players, your Buckleys, your Scott Whartons, um, Hayden Cart potentially coming back on loan uh, after his loan at Portsmouth, Buckley Travis, Brereton Diaz, what do they do with him? If they, if they cash in, they need to make sure that that money gets reinvested. That's the bigger thing for me, rather than Diaz leaving, it's getting that money back into the squad to boost it. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the manager. On the manager front, Daniel Farker is obviously still the favourite. Um, story on Lanks Live from myself this week that he's focusing on Premier League and uh, Bundesliga jobs at the moment. So never say never, and I wouldn't rule him out of the Blackburn Rovers job. But from what I understand at the minute, if Blackburn want to make a swift appointment, which they need to given the short summer turnaround, I don't think he's going to be the manager. Things can change. So if he does become Blackburn manager, this is not me ruling him out at all. But I wouldn't make him favourite right now. Interesting to see Carlos Carvajal linked. He's looking for a, a way back into England. What an appointment that would be if they got that off. Again, lots to work out. I think they're, they're at the stage, from what I understand, with Blackburn, they're still trying to work a shortlist out at the minute. I don't see anything coming next week, for example, in terms of an appointment. So we'll see how that progresses. But the club need to be proactive and get as much of their business done as early as possible by bringing a new manager in. Um, three 1 0. Games to, to round things off, George. Bournemouth 1, Millwall 0. Um, bit of a surprising approach from Millwall, who never really went for it at any point, albeit they were obviously the biggest outsiders to finish in the top six. They needed to win and hope for a, a five-goal swing, I think it was, and hope, obviously, that Sheffield United and Luton didn't win, or one of them didn't win. And, yes, against a Bournemouth team that obviously secured second place in midweek against Forest. But they never really went at them. And you potentially like Sheffield United against Fulham. They didn't go out in the same way that Sheffield United did against Fulham, for example, did they? I know Sheffield United were at home, Millwall away. But again, it's that timidness away from home, which is why they've not quite made it. But, uh, you know, finishing eighth for this season is a fantastic achievement. He's a or great ninth, effort. Ninth, the finish, sorry. Ninth. It's, it's, a, it's a hell of an effort, really, because I think there was a point where Millwall's season were threatening to just fizzle out that little bit, wasn't it? And then they put that real run together. Was it about from... Mid February time, sort of, sort of thing, and yeah, they lost to Swansea midweek, and you thought that was the yeah, nail. I remember that one. Coffee. Lost one nil, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean overall, Gary Rowett has done a good job there. But again, I'm going to go back to that statement that I made last year. Millwall are just that that next step away from making that jump, and they need something. I think, I think they need some investment in the squad. I think they do need to try and spend a little bit of money. This Obviously, lost Jed Wallace, Wallace as well. He's going to go. Jed on Wallace on his way out. That is a huge loss, and. People say about, oh, no no players are replaceable. Players like that are very hard to There are when you've got Millwall's transfer budget. 
Well, exactly. This is the thing, isn't it? He's been, they're arguably their best player for three or four years. He's been such a creative player and losing him is, is going to be like losing a limb for Millwall. He was part of the fabric at that club and he's been terrific over the last few years. But it'll be interesting to see if they can get Benny Kofobe back. He's obviously had a really good last few months. Tom Bradshaw, he's capable of scoring goals at this level if he if he stays fit and can fire regularly. So, Gary Rowett's got some got some building blocks in place, but I do think they need some investment this summer to take them to that next level. Honestly, Wallace, as I've said, huge loss, hard to replace somebody like that. But let's see what happens with Millwall. I think if anything, maybe they've missed a chance this season. I think next year will be even more competitive in that playoff race. Like I said earlier on. I think your Prestons, your Coventrys, your Stokes, your Swanseys will be knocking on the door. QPR as well will be looking to try and get back up there again. So maybe for Millwall, I don't know. It just it depends on their recruitment and what they're going to do this summer. But I think potentially they might have missed a trick this season, not just maybe investing a little bit in January and just going a little bit more hell to leather. But we'll see. It's very hard to predict at this point. It's it's ridiculous saying it really casting predictions of the next season when last season only finished less than 48 hours ago. So we'll see what happens. But for Millwall overall, a successful season in the in the grand scheme of things. But I think they'll be a little bit disappointed that they've just finished short again. Yeah, two more one nils. Derby nil, Cardiff one. Jordan Hugel's goal separating the two teams. Great atmosphere at Pride Park. The latest on Derby, of course, this week. Um, everything's done in terms of the takeover apart from the stadium. And that's proving to be a real stumbling block. Mel Morris, I think, wants about £20 million for it to be bought off him. Um, no agreement to lease it. Derby currently looking at potential other stadiums to, if they can do a stadium share. But it would be very, very disappointing and heartbreaking ideal, at this point if the deal fell through right now purely because of the stadium. I don't expect Mel Morris to walk away from the stadium. It's an asset he's bought ultimately. But nonetheless, surely a bit of common sense and a little bit of you know empathy well, for the situation the, thing, the club are in and should get this part over the line that it feels like the hard work's been done so for it to fall down on the stadium would be a real real disappointment for them appreciate he's a businessman and every businessman wants to hold their assets and make money but at the end of the day if he doesn't play ball with this he's stripping a football club and a city of something very very important and you'd think just to have basic morals and basic standards what's he, he going to do, do with right it thing. exactly what is he going to do with it He's going to build his own football club and develop a new one, Derby Athletic or something. But let's be honest, if he's got any morals about him as a man, he will give that as part of the deal and just let these fans and this football club, which has already been through a hell of enough this season, just to get back on their own, stand on their own two feet again and planning for next season. Because I'll tell you what, as I said last week and the week before, throughout all the crap that they've had to put up with this year, Wayne Rooney... And those players and the fans have done that football club incredibly, incredibly proud. And unfortunately now, one man is threatening when it's so, so close to getting it done. He's threatening to make it still a massive mountain to climb. Swansea City nil, QPR 1. Uh, Swansea were probably the better team in this one, certainly based on the balances, uh, the balance of chances. But uh, nice goal on the break, lovely ball over the top and, and chair setting up Andre Gray. His future will be interesting. I think he's gone under the radar a little bit. His numbers aren't amazing, but if you look how many minutes he's played, his goals-to-minute ratio is, is, is very good, really. QPR have obviously let go of Charlie Austin this week. Um, Lyndon Dykes will be their leading striker. So, Gray's out of contract with Watford. Preston have been linked with him. 
he's on decent wages. That could be the stumbling block for any club trying to pick him up. But I think he'll be a decent free transfer for someone if he can, if you play him basically, because he's, he's he's a goal scorer. I think at Championship level, great so, player at this level. Brilliant yeah. when he was at Burnley. His Always goals to rating. minute ratio has been really good for QPR this season. So we'll see where uh, see where he ends up, and then. Two draws in the championship, as we touched on earlier. For, uh, Hulls like equalise against Nottingham Forest, dropped them down to fourth in the table. Brennan Johnson thought he won it with a 90-second penalty. And then a cross from Louis Coyle that somehow looped its way all the way in past Bryce Samba uh, to make it one all. And then Stoke won, Coventry won. Two teams that, as you've already touched on, will be hoping to knock on the ball for the playoffs next season. One definitely underachieved, one massively overachieved. Coventry's highest finish in the football pyramid for 16 years. Hell of an achievement. They've had a great season. They really have. I mean, we've spoken there about Luton and Huddersfield punching above the weight. I think Coventry have as well. They really have done so, so well. I mean, they've got so many little little nuggets that they can take from this season. The fact that they did the double over Fulham. They hammered Sheffield United. Didn't concede to Mitrovic. Didn't concede to Mitrovic. And neither did Sheffield United as well, we should mention there. Well done to those two clubs. Derby as well, but only faced him once. He missed the game at uh, Craven Cottage through illness. But for Coventry, terrific this season. They've done really well. Most points as well from losing positions. We'll, we'll not forget their late antics this season. That's been one of the highlights of the season for me. It's been great. So another one that I think next season will come back stronger and be aiming to go that little bit higher. So I'm already thinking next year, it's going to be so, so competitive in this playoff battle. And Let's not forget, obviously, we're joined already again by Norwich and Watford, aren't we? Who will no doubt lock out the top two and then come straight back down and go back up again. So, might as well just scrap that bit off now and focus on the playoff race. And on that lovely note of optimism, that concludes your 21-22 Championship Roundup. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. To finish off, George, we're going to look at the playoff games in a little bit more detail. We have touched on them um, already throughout this podcast, as naturally you would do, but... The first uh, first games coming up this weekend: Luton v Huddersfield Town on Friday night, quarter to eight kickoff, and then Sheffield United at home to Nottingham Forest on Saturday, three o'clock kickoff at Bramall Lane. We'll start at Kenilworth Road. Um, both of these games I can see being quite cagey. Playoff games are always cagey in the first leg, aren't they? And then the the second leg is where we really see the beauty and the the quality and the. Um, the entertainment value that makes the playoffs a fantastic and the, and, the, and the pain for somebody and the pain for someone exactly and the jubilation for the other sets of fans. Um, I think Huddersfield go in as favourites to as in for the across the two legs definitely for me. Luton have got a few players coming back, which is good as I touched on earlier. Reese Burt, Lansbury back in the team at the weekend. I still can see I could see this being a, a nil nil one all. I could see a draw in the first leg, and I think Huddersfield potentially maybe depending how it goes, could win on the return leg, which obviously they did relatively recently in the league. How do you see this one panning out? I think it's really, really hard to say. I think both sides have got every right to to look at it and think they've got a fair chance. I really do. But I think you, you do have to lean more towards favouring Huddersfield. Obviously, they finished third. They finished the season in a better manner. They were in really good form. Obviously, Luton have been hampered by injuries in recent weeks, but they've got players coming back. I think with Luton I think as well, I think with, we've seen with Luton, they can fluctuate in performance levels. Brilliant performances, get smashed 7-0. Huddersfield are just a bit more steady and a bit more trusted, I think. Probably, yeah, maybe ceiling's not as that. high, or certainly I think Luton can match Huddersfield. I think both teams are at their absolute best. I think there's not a lot in it. I think yeah. the chances of Huddersfield being 8 out of 10, 
Luton will either probably be 8 out of 10 or 3 out of 10, whereas Huddersfield are more likely to be 7 consistently. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the paramount thing for Luton is that they don't lose this first leg. I think that's really, really important for them. Obviously, they played each other fairly recently at the John Smith and Huddersfield won 2-0. Luton missed a penalty that night. Could have been a very different outcome. So I don't think there's going to be much in it. Both sides have, as I've said, punched dramatically above their weight this season. It's an achievement in itself just to have got to this stage. But when you get to this stage, obviously, you don't want to fall. But for me, I think, even though Huddersfield obviously have done incredibly, incredibly well this season, I think more of the pressure is on them to get the job done. For Luton, I would go as far as saying potentially it's a free hit. I don't think the pressure's on either of them, weirdly. I don't think... I don't know. I just think Huddersfield, obviously, we're claiming third and have been so good throughout the season, especially in the last few uh, weeks. I still I think, think the, the view in the fan base is very much this is yeah, a free I, hit. I know no one expected to be here. I yes, know. it would be an opportunity miss when you think you've got Luton Town it, in front of, of you to would. get to Wembley. Of course it would. But I don't, I don't feel pressure in this game on either team. And no. that, that could and loosen it up as well a little both, bit, which would be good. Both sets of supporters can can look forward to it. It's an occasion that they wouldn't have even dreamt about at the start of the season, most most likely. So I think it's got the ability to be tight. I don't think there'll be many goals in it in the first leg. Luton, as we've seen this season, they've stepped it up in the big games. They've beaten Forest. They gave Chelsea a near run in the FA Cup, let's not forget. Kenilworth Road under the lights has got a got a bit of a feel to it. It's an iconic ground. It's tight. It's compact. So I think Luton potentially could edge this first leg. And I'm going to go for a 1-0 Luton win. But I think Huddersfield could flip it round on Monday night in their home leg. So I'm going to back Luton on Friday night. And I'm going to go for a 1-0 win to Nathan Jones's team. Interesting, interesting. I think it will be a one-all draw. That's my prediction. Nottingham Forest obviously going to Sheffield United on Saturday. We've touched on Blade's home form earlier in the uh, in the podcast. One defeat in 14 under Heckingbottom, 10 wins. Sheffield United need a lead to take to the city ground, don't they? And when these two played early in the season, to be fair, Sheffield United were 1-0 up. Forrest got a 90th minute equaliser through Ryan Yates to get a draw. This is this is two big heavyweights, isn't it? It feels this feels like naturally it could be the final if we're if we're talking purely on size of club and power of club. It's going to be a real, really big game, and I think Sheffield United. I think Sheffield United have to go to Forest with a lead. I would agree with that, and I'll tell you my score prediction in a minute. But I do fancy United at home. They've been terrific at Bramall Lane under Paul Heckingbottom. But it's it's hard to say it because no no two games are the same and previous form goes out the window. When Sheffield United played Nottingham Forest at Bramall Lane, I think it was in March, when Ryan Yates scored that last gasp equaliser for Forest, I thought Forest were far, far, far superior that night. But Sheffield United have improved since then. Forest How does the mentality of Forest change by the fact they were so this close to thing. automatic promotion? They were so close to automatic. They failed to win their last two. They've not scored from open play in the last two. It counts for nothing now. That's gone. It's done. It's a two games where you can't leave anything to chance. They've got to go out there. They've got to deliver. But I fancy United on Saturday at Bramall Lane. They've been terrific at home with Paul Heckingbottom. One defeat in 14. I think the crowd, obviously, it'll, it'll be a sellout crowd. We know what the Sheffield United fans are like. They're supported massively everywhere they go, as are Forest. So. Like you said, it almost feels like the final, doesn't it? In a way, it feels like it, this should be the game at Wembley. The two big 
historic clubs. I don't mean that in any disrespect to Huddersfield and Luton. They've got every right to be there as well. But obviously the Blades and Forest, they, they are bigger football clubs. And I, and I don't think anybody can deny that. They are. And I think this has got the makings of an absolute cracking semi-final of the two legs. I think this could end up with a high aggregate scoreline, being honest. I really, I think this could get into silly numbers like a 5-4, 6-4, something like that. But on Saturday, I'm, I'm going to back United and I'm going to go for a big Blades win. I'm going to go for 3-1 to the Blades. Mm, I'm not sure That's a two-goalie. I could see Sheffield United winning the game. I could, absolutely. I think they, probably, I think they might win the game. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with a 2-1 victory uh, for Sheffield United. But I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you who's going to win the playoffs. Right here, right now. We've got to make a prediction before a ball's kicked. Who's going to win the playoffs? I'll go first if you want. I think Forrest will go up. I think Sheffield United might beat them, but I could see Forrest scoring by winning by a two-goal margin at the City ground because their home form as well is imperious. That's the thing. Is I, Both I think, sides have been brilliant. I think it will be a Forrest-Huddersfield final. And I just think Forest form. This isn't a team that's come flying in in the last ten games or fifteen games to get in the playoffs. This has been a yeah. team over thirty games that has been a top two team in the championship. So for me, I don't think that and goes out. That doesn't fall out the window. Well. No, That's they're the not. Thing. Well, since Paul well, Eckingbottom came in at the end of November, it's only Forest and and uh, yeah, Forest and Huddersfield that have got more points than them at f- more That's than fifty-two. I mean. So they, they are the two automatically once, promoted. Teams once, in terms of form, we've got the right teams in the playoffs that they deserve to be there. I think so. Nobody's, I think so. nobody's made that last gas dash and made it in there by the skin of the teeth. Luton deserve to be there. They've been knocking on the door all season long, pretty much. Well, Huddersfield since mid December, they've been there. This is the right set, I think, to contest this. If I was to go for it, who oh, I think will do it and get over the line? Oh Jesus, this is hard. But yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to. You know what? I'm gonna go with Huddersfield. I am gonna go with Huddersfield. I think they might just do it. As I said earlier, I think that spirit and the togetherness that they've got might just will them on. Obviously, it's a different squad. It's obviously it's a, a club that's been in this situation before a few years ago. Obviously, very different circumstances, but they've got a little bit of experience there in dealing with this pressure. It's been a long, long time for Nottingham Forest, and I think I'm right in saying. I don't think Forest have ever been to the new Wembley. I don't think they have ever been. Mm, Sheffield United obviously have been yeah, a few I times. So. But Forest, I think they're one of, the, one of the few clubs that have never been to the new Wembley. Obviously, the last time they got to the playoffs was 2011, I think, Forest. So it's been a long wait. They've had to be patient. I think they'll make the final. I do think they'll get the better of United over two legs, but they will be chasing it after Saturday at Bramall Lane. But I just think Huddersfield might just go the full distance and write another fairy tale chapter. But whatever happens, as a neutral, I can't wait for these four games over the next week. I think it's going to be, I personally think it's going to be one of the most interesting playoff battles we've seen in years. I feel I like we're saying that at the start of every year, but I do totally agree. I think it's much more exciting than last year's. I really do. I think last year, obviously, we didn't have full crowd last year. It was a bit dead. Oh, in the yeah. Water. That, 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 Same the year before. That changes everything. But I think this year, I just think, realistically, even though all four sides have got realistic ambitions going all the way, I think any four of these two could contest this final. I really do. It could go either way. But I'm going to stick my neck on the line and I am going to back Huddersfield to go the full distance and go back to the Premier League. And I'm going to back Nottingham Forest. What? What? Uh, if that doesn't whet your appetite for some massive games coming across uh, the next couple of weeks, then 
well, well, for next week, then we will. Uh, then you want your head looking at, and you should be listening to this podcast because this is the pinnacle of Championship football, isn't it? This is why we. It's what we live for, isn't it? It really is. When you know, when you go in through the December midweek games and people trekking across the country in cold midweeks, this is why you do it. This is the pinnacle of Championship football, and we are very, very excited um, to watch them, to enjoy them, and to break them down for you uh, on the pod next week. There'll be a podcast in between the first uh, legs. So we'll discuss, obviously, what happens over Friday and Saturday. And then, of course, a preview of the final coming up. Um, boy, what a, what, a, what a couple of spectacles these are going to be. Can't wait for these games we'll coming up. We'll have every angle covered on the social media channels as well. Uh, of course Looking we will. forward to it. Yep. Can't wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. And that does mark the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. As always, if you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app. Leave us a review because apparently these things help with our uh, Apple ratings and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast does go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you enjoy the weekly breakdowns, please make sure you drop a retweet when the episode goes live. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in the podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week. Thanks for a great season. Thank you for all your support across the season for the the other 20 clubs that, of course, won't be involved going forward. Make sure you stay tuned on, on our social media channels. We'll have a new podcast next week dissecting the first legs. Enjoy the playoffs. and Commiserations in advance to those that don't get what they want. And uh, we'll speak again next week for a, another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.